You want to know who Fred Krueger was? He was a filthy child murderer who killed at least 20 kids in the neighborhood. Kids we all knew. Oh, Mom. It drove us crazy when we didn't know who it was. But it was even worse after they caught him. Did they put him away? Oh, the lawyers got fat and the judge got famous, but somebody forgot to sign the search warrant in the right place and Kruger was free just like that. What did you do, Mother? A bunch of us parents tracked him down after they let him out. We found him in an old abandoned boiler room where he used to take his kids. Go on. Took gasoline. We poured it all around the place and made a trail of it out the door. Then lit the whole thing up and watched it burn. <laughs> honey because mommy killed him Hey, ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the Dana Buckler show my name is Dana and I'm joined as always by my co-host Mr. Jason Waters. Jason, welcome back, my friend. Thank you. And might I say real quick before we dive into this episode, fantastic job on the Edward Swick interview. Oh, my gosh. Nailed it. That was so much fun. I could have talked to him for four hours. It was awesome. Yeah. It was, and it was, it was so crazy how quick it all came together, too. <laughs> Overnight. Yeah. I am in Austin, Texas on a retreat. And you message me. And you're like, call me 911. <laughs> emergency. Movie 911. I'm like, what's going on? And you're like, I just talked to Edward Swick. He wants to do the podcast. I'm like, when? He's like, tomorrow morning. I'm like, I can't. I'm in, I'm, I'm not prepared. You're going to have to do it. Yeah. And uh, and you pulled it off. And I, I'm telling you, I could have listened to, I, I know you guys were on a kind of a tight window. He had a heart out. He could only talk for so long. Yeah. But man, I could have listened to you guys talk for hours about if, his films. If we had gone into each one of his films, I mean, I would have loved to talk about Glory and Blood Diamond and everything else. He's just... A wealth of knowledge, and I can't wait for his book. Yeah, yep, absolutely. I, I went ahead and pre-ordered it. <laughs> Hits, flops, and other illusions. Yeah, I'm excited. So, yep. but let's discuss today's episode. Yeah. All right. So, it is the month of October. If you're listening to this when the episode comes out, the day it comes out, or the week it comes out, this is the month of October. And typically in October, we do try to do some horror horror yeah. movie related material. We've been so we've had so many different projects we've been working on, so many different episodes. There's lots we've got of, like six different unfinished ones we've got to just get into. We've got I've got a ton that have been recorded. I mean, I'm I'm telling we, you, we need some crack and yeah. some speed and yeah, a couple uh, of days. And you know what I need more than anything else? Time, <laughs> time. That's true. Last year we did the Halloween franchise and we did the Friday the Thirteenth franchise. Yep. It was a fun discussion. Yeah. Uh, really enjoyed it. Learned a lot, especially, you know, those, what I call those middle movies in both franchises. Yes. You know, there's a lot of those movies I dismissed and some of them I have a new appreciation for Friday the 13th part five. Some of them I'm like, yeah, this is not good at all. No, Halloween no, four. No. Okay. So, <laughs> but let me tell you a quick story. All right. Okay. So the original Nightmare on Elm Street comes out in 1984. Okay. Yep. 
and it's a it's a big success I'm by five. I am eighty four. I'm six. Yeah. Okay. And you know, here's the thing: movie comes out in eighty four. It hits home video four or five months later. So it's sometime in eighty five. I'm I'm seven years old. All right. I have two older sisters. I have a brother who's a little bit older than me. And my parents were, and I do thank them for this. They were they were strict on the movies that we're allowed to watch, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm, I'm glad they were, uh, you know, looking back on it. I wouldn't say I lived a sheltered life because we certainly could see R-rated movies at different friends' house. We we had kind of the underground circuit. We knew yeah, how to er- watch everybody. Movie. Yeah, knew how but to get there. I say all this because as a seven-year-old, A Nightmare on Elm Street, not on my radar. <laughs> not not much is on my radar <laughs> not, as a seven-year-old. All right. But I remember one Saturday morning, my sisters had rented a movie called A Nightmare on Elm Street. And one Saturday morning, my brother comes in to my bedroom and says, come with me. I want to show you something. Oh, God. And he had smuggled the tape out of the, the family room. And my brother, who was, let's see, I was seven, so he was maybe nine years old. All right. Yeah. We sat there and we watched this movie. Oh, my God. Okay. Now... To say that I was traumatized, <laughs> that's not putting it lightly. Or that's putting wow. it lightly. Excuse me. That's putting it lightly. I was tormented by Freddy Krueger. Yeah. Because you, when you're seven years old, you you can't appreciate that that's a man in makeup. And, it's like and, a horribly disfigured yeah, demon. And, and it traumatized me to the point where I slept with my bedroom light on. For a few years, 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 <laughs> and that's movie trauma. Yeah, no, it really got me. Wow! And every time a new Nightmare on Elm Street movie would come out, for some reason, I ended up watching it. I was always at my friend's house, and I didn't want to look like yeah. I was too scared because we, you know, kids back then would ridicule you to death yeah. if you were scared of something. So I watched Elm Street two. Elm Street 3, Elm Street 4, and every time I'd watch those movies, the trauma was reintroduced to me. Yeah. And so I will admit now as a 45-year-old adult that Freddy Krueger <clears throat> terrified me as a child, and still to this day, I have a difficult time watching some of the movies alone in the dark. Really? It still gets me. It's still, what it does is it... it transports it, you back to being yeah, it, it, six. It brings that trauma back. Yeah. Now... In 1998, I went to Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights Mm. before they fucked it all up. All right. And I say that now is good luck going to Halloween Horror Nights now. You're not going to be able to do anything. Oh, really? They oversell the tickets and they expect you to get the express passes for the Haunted Mansion. So it's literally there's a there's a two class system when you go to Universal now. Yeah. Okay. So if you want to pay first class, you're going to get to do everything. If you want to buy a ticket on on, on coach. You're good luck. Good luck. An hour and a half to get somebody jump out and poke you. Yes. So, but back then in 98, it was a little bit different. Okay. So I went with some friends and one of the horror movie or excuse me, one of the haunted mansions that they had or haunt. Let me say that again. One of the haunted houses that they had was a trip through movie horror movie icons. Oh, wow. And it was broken into two parts. Oh, God. All right. If you went left. It was all the classic universal Frankenstein's monster, Dracula, the mummy, creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah. And that haunted house would have all of those characters in it. And if you went right, 
it was what was then modern day horror movie icons. Oh man. And when you walk through, you had these like wax figures of Freddie, Jason, Leatherface, Michael Myers, Ghostface, and Ghostface, and they were like behind like velvet ropes. And I saw the Freddy Krueger one. And I looked at him, and I'm 20 years old at the time, and I'm realizing that I am facing my trauma for them. I, I'm <laughs> I am facing my trauma. And my friends look at me. I said, just give me one second. I got to do something. I got to talk to this guy. And I walked right up to the Freddy Krueger wax figure. And I looked him right in the face. And I said, fuck you, Freddy Krueger. And then his head shifted slowly <laughs> to the left. And I went, oh, my God. And then he He's raised so his arms. And I went, oh, my God. And I took off running. And, and he, he started chasing me. <laughs> And I took off running and I look behind me and Freddy Krueger is chasing me because they weren't wax figures. They were actors <laughs> pretending to be wax figures. And this guy is now chasing me through Universal. And he finally broke chase. The whole thing probably only lasted 10 seconds, <laughs> but terrified me. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> so suffice to say, when the decision was made for us to have a discussion about the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, they, they tell you one of the easiest ways to get over your fears is to learn as much as you can about what you're afraid of. Yes. And I consider so myself an expert on the Elm Street well, franchise. Excellent. So I guess I will ask you this first question talking about the, the horror movie classic. And it is a classic. It's in the discussion of one of the great horror movies of all time. 1984 is written and directed by Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street. Do you recall your introduction to the movie? Yes, I do. Um, and again, it's one of those, like, where were you when Kennedy was shot? Like, if you saw this as a child, you remember it. And I remember I had watched it about two weeks before we went on a um, family reunion up at Young Harris College in Georgia. And I remember, I remember everything about this. My parents had rented it, and they went, I don't know if they went to church, where they went on a Saturday, and I popped it in and watched it. And like you, it traumatized me. Like I probably slept with the lights on, but I definitely was afraid that Freddy Krueger was real because they, I mean, at the end, it's like, he's not dead. I mean, spoiler alert, but, um, so then we go to the, the family reunion like two days later and they've got a planetarium at the college and at night they do these laser light shows. They did Nightmare on My Street by Mr. Fresh Prince. Oh, that's right. And everybody's having a good time watching the lasers on the thing. And someone grabs my arm because I'm on the outside row. And I look up and it's a guy. He's grabbed me with the claws dressed. I mean, has a complete Freddy Krueger mask, the hat, the outfit, everything. Grabs it and looks at me and starts like moving his face towards mine. I, I, if I had to pee, I would have done it. I would have just messed my pants. I've never, to this day, I've never been that scared in my entire life. I think it's important for us to mention a few things. Number one, spoilers for all of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies in the entire franchise. Oh, yeah. Okay. Number two, I think we need, I, I think a discussion is warranted as to why Freddy Krueger, at least I will say in the first three Nightmare on Elm Street movies, is such an effective boogeyman, all right? Because putting the exorcist aside, mm -hmm. all right, when you look at seminal horror movies leading up to A Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Friday the 13th, you know, all these things, all of these antagonists are mindless, silent, silent 
killers. Right. Freddy Krueger is 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 the total one eighty from that. Oh yeah. He's so effective because he talks and he's not bothered by space or time or anything. He can seemingly you can stab him, kill him, do whatever you need to do, blow him up. He's not dead. No, he's still coming. It's I just it's. Kudos it's evil personified. Yeah, absolutely. And and kudos to, to Wes Craven for I mean he, yeah. he he this is all him. Like yeah. he wrote this, he directed it, made for very little money. Oh yeah. I mean and this a million was bucks. million bucks distributed by New Line Cinema, which uh was founded by Bob Shea, and Bob Shea kind of got his start. Uh he figured out that, you know, there were certain movies that were in the public domain, like Reefer Madness and stuff <laughs> like that. And he'd go around in the sixties and early seventies on college campuses and he would show these movies, charge a little bit of money, and then eventually they would get into making some smaller horror movies. But they leveraged the entire stu- the entire company on the success of this film. Oh yeah. I think I remember reading somewhere that he like mortgaged his home, his car. Like, if this was going to be a flop, it was going to ruin him. And Wes Craven signed away the rights to every. I mean, he signed away the rights to the character, to the sequels, to everything, just for just to get the movie finished because they had run out of money. They couldn't even New Line couldn't even cover the payroll for everybody that was working on this movie. And it was like some other investors came in and said, "Yeah, we'll give you some more money," but you know. Boom. So when this when the first Elm Street comes out, it's a uh, makes what twenty five million dollars, something like that, uh, somewhere in that neighborhood. It's fifty seven million. Fifty seven million dollars. Okay. On a million okay. dollar budget. Do you that's know how much just the box office, not no, the, not, not the home video. Do you know how much yeah. of that money Wes Craven saw? None. 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 But again, I remember he thought this. He's like, "There's no way this is a sequel. Yeah. This is a standalone movie." Yeah, it had well, and we'll we'll get to that in just a second because there's the way the movie ends. Yeah. And then there's the way that Bob Shea made Craven end the movie. Yeah. So for those that have never seen the original Nightmare on Elm Street film, I don't know what to say other than uh, I'm a little excited because you're, you know, I mean, it's fair. It's been 39 years since the film came out. So there's probably a whole generation that hasn't seen it. Man. So, I mean, I know we're supposed to go spoiler free, but fuck it. No, no, spoil up. So, so. The basic plot of A Nightmare on Elm Street is you have a group of teenagers that all seem to be having the same dream. They, they dream about this terribly burned man who continues to sort of taunt them in their dreams. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's kind of a mystery of who is this guy. He starts killing them one by one. And throughout and not like a you know, like, hey, here's a stab, stab. Yeah. Like terrorizes them first and then brutally murders them. And, and that's what's so interesting about it, because when you look at a Halloween or a Friday the 13th, you've got the killer comes and kills the person. That's it. Yep. It's over. These kids, at least it's to be perceived every night are being are dreaming of freddy krueger and he keeps fucking with them in their dreams and then eventually kills them yeah so it's not like he just one day you fall asleep you're killed in your dream so it's diabolical it is and you get you know michael myers just a little bit of evil on him kills his sister and then comes back and kills some kids jason you know originally it's well Keep up all the spoilers, and it's, it's Miss Voorhees, yeah. and she's killing counselors. Freddie likes doing this because he just likes killing kids. And yeah. he, when he was alive, that's what he—that's what his profession was—a janitor and a child murderer. Yep. Yeah. So it—it it, you come to find out that the reason why he is doing what he's doing is because when, like you said, 
like you said, when he was alive, he was known, he, he had killed a bunch of kids in the neighborhood. At and, least 20. And they arrested him. Yeah. And he, because somebody forgot to sign the search warrant, he got off on a technicality and he went free. So the parents of the murdered children lynched him, hunted him down, and burned him alive. The, the Elm Street crew. Yeah, it burned him alive. And so what he has done as he is coming, he has somehow been resurrected in the dreams, and he is killing the kids of the parents who murdered him. Yeah. Like, where do you come up with this? Like, that's, I mean, I'm not saying it's brilliant. I mean, but it's, what a what an interesting concept. Can we go after the parents first, maybe? And the idea that it's in your dream where we've all dreamed, we're powerless in our dreams. Yeah. We don't control our dreams. How often... I'm not going to say it's never happened to me, but how often do you go, oh, I'm dreaming? Yeah. Very rarely I'll get one of those. I'm like, oh, I'm dreaming. And then immediately I'll wake up. And then immediately I'll wake up. Yeah. So cast the characters. You you have Heather Langenkamp plays our protagonist, Nancy Thompson. Yep. Robert England plays Freddy Krueger. And then you have, oh, by the way, Ronnie Blakely plays <laughs> plays uh, Marge, yep. Marge Thompson. Ronnie yep. Blakely, Oscar-nominated actress from 1975's Nashville, the Robert Altman film, which you, you got guys, me on to that one. Yeah, it's a it's a great it's a great movie. Wonderful. Now you understand where Paul Thomas Anderson got his inspiration from. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> I use the word inspiration. Yeah. yeah, the movie is clever. It's scary as hell. Yeah, it's a tight ninety minutes. It, you know, it gets in, it does its job, it gets out. It's it's a perfect horror movie. Well, and we get to meet Johnny Depp. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hi. Yeah. Hi, <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Johnny Depp's very first movie. Did you the story of of Johnny Depp being cast is pretty funny because I've seen in interviews where Wes Craven's like he was seeing a lot of different people. I think Robert Downey Jr. and yeah. and Christian Slater, a lot of people auditioned for the role of Glenn. And when he met Johnny Depp, he thought he looked quote sickly. He said, "Oh, he's too sickly looking." And then he showed a, a headshot of Johnny Depp to his daughter, and his daughter said, "Oh no, Dad, he's gorgeous. He's gorgeous. He's dreamy." And he said, "Okay, well, I guess I'll I'll go with him." And yeah, so talking about the murders in this movie. Okay, so we're going to go through this as quick as possible. So Tina has the first on-screen death in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, and it's it still it's gets me every so time. So hard to watch, even rewatch. I mean, she she wakes up. They've all talked about Tina, Nancy, Rod, Glenn. They're all staying at Tina's house at night. They're all talking about this same yeah. thing, and they're all just like, you know, some of them are like, "This is crazy." The others are like, "How's this happening?" Tina and Rod. Rod's kind of the bad boy. You know, he's not in high school. He ends up spending the night. They sleep together. Middle of the night, Tina wakes up because someone's throwing pebbles at her upstairs bedroom window. And then the window shatters for a second. Then she goes outside. <laughs> and this is the this is where you see Freddie fucking with people. You hear him call her name. And then he just comes out of the bushes and he cuts his fingers off. And then he extends his arms out. Ugh. It's just, it's terrifying. Yeah. And then she wakes up and she's back in her bed. And then he's in the bed, and then, I mean, she gets dragged across the ceiling. Rod is awake, seeing her, like, thrashing about. He sees the cuts happen in her stomach. And I, I remember the, some of the behind-the-scenes on that is they're, they're not doing CGI on this. They're no. literally, everything in the room is nailed down, yep. and they're spinning. The, they've got the room built on, like, a gyroscope, yep. and they're just spinning her in the room. Same room they use for breaking to the electric boogaloo when Turbo's <laughs> dancing on the ceiling. Fun fact. 
And then Rod is immediately blamed for it. Oh, yeah. Of and, course. And yep. then Rod's death, he goes, he's he's in jail, and he gets he gets strangled by it. I mean, it's just... And the, 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 I guess one of the other central themes of the, the movie is parents not believing their kids. Yeah, good point. Because yeah. the parents in every single one of these years, like, I'm telling you, here's what happened. They're like... Some of, some of them aren't saying it, but like, listen, we fucking hung that guy and burned him. Like, yeah. he's... It's not him. Yeah, when Marge sits down and tells Nancy the story, and she goes, yeah. "Freddie can't hurt you because mommy killed him." Yeah. Like, oh Jesus, <laughs> Jesus! Obviously, probably the most famous death scene from the original Nightmare on uh, Elm Street is going to be Glenn's death. Yeah, where the question is always, "What you know? What happened to him when he got sucked into the bed?" Um, pretty much just became a blender down there, yeah. pulverized. That um, that blood pouring out of the beds. I mean. Also the same room, the gyros, the, yeah, gyroscope, the, the, room. the gy- gyro uh, room. Yeah. I can't, I, it's just, it's too much. It looks like blood. Yeah. I mean, not like it's, oh, that's just a bunch of red water. It probably is, but it looks like 500 gallons of blood just pouring out. There's that great scene afterwards when, you know, Nancy's father, who's like the Lieutenant of the police department, he was also one of the guys that killed Kruger. You know, you know, he's got his deputies in there and, and there's blood dripping from the ceiling. And, 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 and he says to his, his guy, he goes, what's the coroner say? And he goes, I don't know. He's still in the bathroom puking. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> so, you know, Nancy figures out that it's possible to bring Freddie out of her dreams. Yep. And she booby traps the house and gets him out. And ultimately... He dies because she turns turns her back on him. Like we're kind of glossed. We're not. We could spend an hour talking about the entire movie. We're just kind of glossing over the first one because we want we want to get into sort of the sequels. That's what I don't think you and I are going to be in much disagreement that this is an incredible film. No, no, I love this movie. You know, she turns her. She eventually turns her back on him. Says, "I'm not scared of you. You're not shit." He loses his power. She walks outside. Movie's supposed to end right there. Yeah. Like, everything's good. Her friends are alive. Everything's good. Movie is supposed to end. That's how it's supposed to end. And Bob Shea says, no, you have to leave a stinger at the end. You have to leave an opportunity for him to come back. And so the dumbest ones. Yeah. They they shot a few different ones, by the way. They shot one where the car... You know how the car comes alive and yeah. just, yeah, where Freddie's actually, there's a shot of him actually in the driver's seat driving them all away. But this, you know, her getting pulled through the, you know, the window on the door, it's kind of ridiculous, but movie's a monster success. Yes. And what are the, what are the, the numbers, the critics, what um, do you go again? So the, the numbers for this, the original Nightmare on Elm Street, critics, 95%. Wow. 95% audience is 84%. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. I thought, I thought it would have been higher, but yeah. Yep. Um, and then $1.1 million budget and it makes $57 million. Absolutely. I mean, just astronomical. The movie's released on November 6, 1984. All right. It makes a ton of money. And guess what? When you make that kind of money, you're uh you got to come back. You got to come back and yep. come back quick. Yeah. All right. Because okay. a nightmare in Elm street Two: Freddy's revenge is released literally a year later on November 1st, 1985. Now here's the thing. So that's screenplay, production, everything, visual effects, everything, everything. Wes Craven is not brought back to do this. I don't think think he was asked back. He wasn't asked back. And what's interesting is, you know, hindsight is 2020 looking back, but imagine if you will discussing this, that the, you know, Elm street three and all those movies haven't existed yet. Right. You have a nightmare on Elm street. And then it's like, this thing was massive. We've got to get another sequel out as quick as possible. But 
I don't think Bob Shea and a lot of the people even understood what it was about that movie that spoke to everybody. Yeah. You know, because there's this famous story of, well, this movie makes, the first one makes, like you said, 50 plus million. And they're getting ready to do a sequel. And Robert England's agent's like, well, yeah. <laughs> We got this. Well, you're going to have to pay him some more money. And Bob Shea's like, why do we need Robert England to do this? It's yeah. just a guy in a mask. And they ended up hiring, you know, some stunt double to, because they, they didn't realize who was the star of, right. of the series. It wasn't Heather Langenkamp. It wasn't Heather Langenkamp, who, yeah. who I love and she's great. Yeah. yeah. But, but Freddie's the star of this. Yeah. And so they, there's a few scenes in Elm Street 2, particularly the shower sequence with the gym coach, yeah. uh, where you can see Freddie walking out of the shower with all the steam and he's kind of walking real. That was actually the stunt man. Stunt that, that wasn't even Robert England because they had shot. That was one of the first scenes, the first scenes that shot. Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddie's Revenge, directed by Jack Shoulder, who was an in-house director for New Line. He had done a couple movies for them before. He's one of those just, you know, buy the book, come in, didn't. Didn't he says in interviews didn't particularly like the first movie? <laughs> what? <laughs> it was just a job. Yeah, it was just, it was just a job. It was just yeah. a job. Bring the pages to life. There you go. They hired David Chaskin to write the script, mm-hmm. and I, I guess we should just—I mean, obviously, for those who know, they know. But Nightmare on Elm Street Two um, is known as <laughs> uh, how do I say this? politely um, the the gay nightmare correct magazine ranked it the gayest horror film of all time yes so it's interesting because when you watched it in 85 a lot of people missed it yeah but looking back on it now it it there's it's an allegory for for somebody who's who's gay and <laughs> and, and i didn't catch it until this past rewatch and i'm like there are a lot of homoerotic undertones in here there there was a ton of them um, um and and <laughs> I think my favorite one, and I watched this, so watching that, uh, what was the documentary? Never, Never Sleep Again. Never Sleep yeah. Again. The, the screenwriter is like, yeah, the art production or the production set designer was gay. So he just started putting all these things up, like a board game called Probe. Yeah. <laughs> no chicks allowed on the door. Yeah. I mean, and it was it, everything about the film, looking back on it, it was very much, well, of course, it's right there. It's obvious, but, you know. This is 1985. Yeah. You know, this is a different time back then. And it's funny because the director, Jack Shoulder, has gone on to say, like, I didn't I didn't see anything. I didn't realize <laughs> I didn't that was I the did. case. And then J- David Chaskin, the, the director, is like, I mean, the, excuse me, David Chaskin, the writer, is like, well, yeah, that was all. I put all <laughs> of all that in there. in there. It was all subtext, the whole thing. <laughs> so we've addressed that. <laughs> okay. So he, you know. So that should give, that should give our... Our listeners a new perspective and a reason to rewatch too. If you didn't catch it before, that's it's fun to fun to catch. Nightmare on Elm Street two at the time was very much maligned. Most people thought that it was a big swing and a miss. Yes. Uh and I thought that for the longest time. You know, if you would have asked me fifteen, twenty years ago, you know. You know, what do you think of Nightmare on Elm Street 2? I'd say it's not a good movie. They they, they didn't get it. They Wes Craven had set up all of, established all these rules. This movie is kind of like The Last Jedi. It yeah. takes everything that J.J. Abrams did and says, no, nah, no, nah, we're going to do our own thing. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden Freddy's in the real world. And now it's a movie more about possession than it is about, you know, stalking people in their dreams. That's where it lost me, too. The, yeah. the pool scene. Yeah, um, yeah. So... 
you were to ask me before, do I like it? I would have said no. If you asked me today after rewatching it, I'd say hell no. Yeah, so that's interesting. So, um, and in, it's not that it's a it's not that it's a terrible movie. It's just it makes no sense. The story is just bits and pieces. It's like they were just someone dropped the film on the editing room floor and they picked it up and just put it back together however they could. So the the basic plot of the movie is that our our main antagonist our main protagonist his name is Jesse Walsh. And we get a man this time. He, yeah, and so he is um him and him and his family have moved into 1428 Elm Street, which was the house that Nancy grew up. The movie takes place five years after the fact, mm-hmm. and immediately he is starting to have these dreams about Freddy Krueger. That's the most coherent aspect of the film yes. that I can describe, because like you said, it is seri- a series of events that happen that are just pieced together. But I will say, looking at the film... There are parts of this movie that truly terrify me. Really? Right? There are parts that well, still yeah. get me. That still get me. Specifically, the scene when Grady is murdered. Yeah. Okay, this is... And, and I just want to point out that they had a bigger budget for this film, so you could get into much more practical special effects and makeup and everything. And there are some tough stuff in this yeah. movie. $3 million budget for this Yeah. Movie. And when Freddy possesses Jesse and then just comes out of his body... And yeah, that's... Then, pretty deep it's tough it's tough yeah but when grady's in his room and his parents are on the outside and when freddie stands up he looks at him and he just nods at him just for a second like you know what's about to happen it's fucking terrifying (laughs) and it's brutal and i will say this all right freddie just kills people in this movie yeah all right he doesn't you know in later movies he uses whatever you're a fan of whatever you like whatever you're into he uses that to kill you yeah but in this one he just that's fine yeah that's why the whole pool scene doesn't work for me right it's like okay well i'm i can bring my special powers into the real world and let's make the pool boil and catch fire and just goes around wreaking havoc and then like he's got all these people locked in he could just run around killing all of them he's like no i'm i gotta go this is great though when the guy tries to talk to him. Hey man, <laughs> we're here to help. We're here. And he gives that famous line, You're all my children. You're all my children. Like, like, but that's again, looking back on it, you know, this is the sequel to a nightmare on Elm Street. Like there's not anything afterwards for us to go, Well, look what they did here and look what they did here. Right. So they they just missed the mark. They they didn't know what they were doing. But having said all that, I'm still putting this film in a mild recommend category. Because I still think it's infinitely interesting, I, some I, of the ideas they went with. I think the only reason I would put it in a mildly recommend category is to show what not to do after a really great movie right. comes out. So, what are the numbers <laughs> on Nightmare on Elm Street 2? So, so, it does make money because oh, yeah. everybody, you know, at this point, there's no Rotten Tomatoes out there to look it up and go, oh, shit. Critics, 42% rotten. Yeah. Um, audiences... Didn't like it anymore. Thirty three percent. Yeah. Oh boy. But it did make thirty million dollars yeah. for New Line Cinemas, and a good chunk of that came in the first two weeks that the movie came out. It, word of mouth was a lot harder to to get out back then. Eighty five. Yeah. No social media. No anything like that. So so they're gonna take a couple years and really hit the reset <laughs> button here. Revamp. Yep. And at this point, Bob Shea, he's made enough money. He he's 
he's smart enough that he's going to go back to Wes Craven and he's yeah. going to say, all right, listen. And Wes Craven, by the way, is coming off the colossal failure, which is Deadly Friend. Yeah, you know, I've never even seen that. It's not what you think. <laughs> listen, listen, the cover would have you think it's about a girl who's resurrected from the dead. And that's kind of kind of what it's about but it's more about a boy who builds a robot and the robot becomes sent like a little and the robot looks like like a little trash can like from the black hole movie like the like it's it's got uh throw mama from the train oh it's got her in it oh no it's not the movie like if you watch the trailer you'd be like oh i'm i'm in for this dad this is oh, Wes craven coming off the heels of elm street it's not good <laughs> it's it's it makes no sense but so Wes Craven, he needs he needs to work as well. Yeah. So they reach out to him and say, all right, Wes, we'd love to have you come back on. So him, along with his writing partner, Bruce Wagner, they write a movie, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, The Dream Warriors. Now, I'll ask you this. This is not the script they eventually went with. They, Bob Shea read this script and said, well, there's no way we can make this. Like it's brutal. Not only, yeah, not only, not only is it mean. incredibly brutal and mean. He used the C word a couple times in the oh, script. Yeah. <laughs> not only that, but it's too ambitious. They don't have the budget for it. I mean, I don't I hate to skip ahead, but what's the budget for around? Is it like five million? Uh, it says between four and a half and five or four and a half yeah. and four point six. Yeah. So, so they were, t they were saying that, you know, the Dream Warriors, the script that um, Craven wrote was so ambitious that it would have taken a $25 million budget to make. Yeah. So they they like some of the initial ideas of it. It's where these kids band together. They have powers and they, they, they join, unite to fight Freddy. But you're right. Yeah. You see, I've read the script. It's available. You can find it, it online. The original script. It's mean. It's mean. Mm. And I'm telling you, I, I can't even describe and you got to wonder if being snubbed for two, did he do that on purpose? It's like there are like I've never like read something where I'm like reading the script on my iPad. I'm like, OK, I'm putting my iPad down for a second. <laughs> oh, my God, because you have a frame of reference because you've seen Elm Street three. Yeah. And it's all the same names like Kincaid, Joey, Kristen, like all of those characters are in it. Right. But. All I'm going to tell people is don't look this up. <laughs> don't Google how Kincaid dies in the original Nightmare on Elm Street 3 script written by. Uh, so that's a do recommend. Like, like don't look into that because you're not going to be able to unthink. <laughs> but it's tough. Ugh. And you're just like, oh, my God. Well, I, I will say across all of the films, that is the one thing that stays consistent is no one dies like quietly, peacefully. No, you know, even in like Halloween, something that people get they get straight up stabbed and they're dead in five seconds. This go some of these murders go on for minutes. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> so what happens is they they take they take the script from Craven and Wagner, and then those two are gonna get a story credit. All right, and they start shopping around. And this, by the way, this is gonna become a pattern for. Uh, New Line and Bob Shea. They're going to yeah. find hungry up-and-coming writers and directors that will work for cheap and say, hey, pitch this. Give us a pitch. Yeah. So they give the script to a, a, a writing duo by the name of Frank Darabont and Chuck Russell. 
Okay. Now, old Frank Darabont. A Frank Darabont, if that name doesn't sound familiar to you, he would go on a few years later to direct, uh, direct a little movie known as <laughs> The Shawshank Redemption. Yep. Also, The Green Mile. And he'd be instrumental in getting The Walking Dead television show off the ground. He did some things. He did a couple things. Chuck Russell, he's going to go on and do The Blob the next year. He's going to direct The Mask with yeah. Jim Carrey. He's going to direct Eraser with Arnold Schwarzenegger in 96. Scorpion King. Scorpion King. <laughs> he's doing some things. Yeah. So they they come to, Bob Shea comes to these two and says, you know, what can you do with this? So they rework the script to a, they basically write the script in a way that, hey, we can tone it down a little bit and we can do this for four and a half, five million dollars. Yeah. And we get 1987's A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, The Dream Warriors, which many will say, including the first, is the best Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Oh, uh, what do you think about that? I, I certainly will rank it number two. I still For think, me, it's number two. I would, I would still say that the original is still the best. But re-watching Elm Street 3, like I want to do like a whole episode dedicated to why this is one of, if not... The great horror movies of the 1980s. Yeah, from no. The, so I would I would agree. And so this film brings back Heather Langenkamp's yes. character as a psychology intern at a mental institute where there's kids. You know, there's a apparently a they kind of intimate that there's a a bunch of suicides going on in town of teenagers, which is Freddy coming back. Yeah, and all these people have either tried to kill themselves or are mentally unstable because they're having these same nightmares. And they're in group, and the psychiatrists and the doctors there are telling them, you know what it is? It's your un, it's your guilt and your unrepressed anger and the fact that you're just bad kids, and yeah. that's why you're having these nightmares. Yeah. And so, again, you're like, fucking doctors, man. You know, suspend your belief in science and think about the, you know, the possibility that something else could be going on. I'm going to go on the record and say that this movie has... And I'll say this even more so than the original Nightmare on Elm Street. This has the most fleshed out like group of teenagers in any horror yeah. movie I've ever seen. Including Patricia Arquette's debut. Yeah. yeah. Possibly maybe Scream does it better mm. as far as. But if you look at every Friday the 13th movie, you look at every Halloween movie. All right. You have got your main protagonist and then you've got cannon fodder. Yeah. And that's all you have. And you have just... Whatever, you're next on the chopping block. Whereas the characters in A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Philip, Joey, Will, you know, Taryn, all of them. Uh, I, by the way, I don't have notes in front of me, guys. Like, I just remember their <laughs> names. Like, they all have an interesting story and yeah. they all have, like, emotional depth to them. Well, and I think what they do so well in this is they're they're in group together talking and they introduce Heather Lang and Camp and, you know, here's someone who's going to be joining our team. Why don't you guys tell all of us something about yourself? So you get this five minute introduction to these people and then you, you know them. And then you know, as it's the movie progresses and you watch their characters develop, you feel for them. It's a brilliant, the way, so the movie opens up with, with Patricia Arquette, Kristen. Okay. She has the dream within the dream, you know, and yeah. you know, brilliant scene when she falls asleep and she goes into the now abandoned elm street house she has the little girl and she goes down this hallway mm -hmm. yeah. and she gets kind of stuck in like this like mucky substance yeah and there's this long hallway and then you see freddie just running towards her and i'm like whoa wait a second <laughs> that's so different than because this is 
he's just coming running at her and just swipes at her and i'm like that's that's not how he normally operates normally he's gonna fuck with you for a little while and then she is you know he basically cuts her but makes it look like she did it herself she ends up there she has this ability of bringing people into her dreams she is being accosted by Freddy, who's a giant snake, <laughs> who's like swallowing her. She yeah. brings Nancy into the dream in that scene where Freddy recognizes Nancy and just goes, you. <laughs> I get chills. I'm like, oh, and she's like, oh, my God. It's just the movie does everything. It's the perfect balance yeah. of really interesting characters. Freddy's starting to become... A little bit more, the puns are starting to come out a little bit, but he's still menacing. He's still terrifying. And by the way, he's better, he's more well lit. You see the makeup better in this movie than you had in the previous two. Yeah. Uh, the kills in this movie, this is where you start using the Phillips, the guy he likes to make marionettes. Uh oh. Oh, God. That- uh, Jennifer wants to be an actress in TV. Uh oh. <laughs> you know, Terrence, the drug addict. Uh, Will is uh, the wizard master. This is where Freddy starts using yeah. the things that you identify with to kill you. Yeah. He's going to do that for the rest of the series. And if I could say that marionette scene, I'll never forget seeing it that. Is disgusting. I'll never forget seeing Ugh. that. So this again, for me, these Elm Street movies were always a year, usually about a year after they came out, because when a movie would come out, it wouldn't come out on in theaters. It wouldn't come out on home video six to eight months later. So it's it's yeah. it's always a year ahead for me. So I'm ten <laughs> in eighty eight when I see that scene, and that was the one scene that just got me. Ugh. I was. I can't. I can't. I still close my eyes. I still can't watch it. So realistic. Yeah, because it's all practical effects. (laughs) It's that's the thing. You, uh, it's, and that's such a terrifying scene. If we can dissect Philip's marionette scene without, for those who haven't seen it, without getting into the gory details of it, but how he is basically walked up to the top of the hospital. And he's awake. And he's awake. And his yeah. friends see him and they're screaming and he looks down at them and he's helpless. And and Freddie makes it look like it was a suicide. That's terrifying. Yeah. And that is so. It makes you feel helpless. Yeah. Anybody. I mean, any, it's, and, but it's so. Elm Street 3 was such leaps and bounds above Elm Street 2. Like, yeah. In fact, again, we'll make the case that putting the first one aside, because it's just a classic, there's not going to be another Elm Street movie that comes close to Elm Street 3. No. Well. Oh, well, I know where you're going with this. New Nightmare. Yeah, New Nightmare. Well, yeah. Um, Which we'll get to. Which we'll get to. Uh, Three three was, if, if they could have ended it with, if this had been a trilogy, this would have been that two sucked three was like the masterpiece. Yeah. yeah and let's just stop yeah and it would have been it would have been celebrated as probably one of the best trilogy horror films of all time absolutely and of course it has the the great song dream warriors by dawkin <laughs> just a great song okay. oh we get Lawrence fishburne in this too Lawrence fishburne okay it's incredible all right you've got the guy the doctor neil he looks just like bill maher yeah you know, we jump. got a really good CGI skeleton fight. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, no. That's stop motion. That's like no, Ray Harryhausen. Yeah, that was all. Yeah, that was all like Jason and the Argonauts stuff right oh my there. Gosh. 
So, and you've got John Saxon returning, yep. fighting Skeleton Freddy. Yep. And he's now a uh, security guard. Security guard. <laughs> Seems to be a little on the downward trend. Um, unfortunately, you know, big major spoiler alert, Nancy does die again. You're absolutely right. This is the perfect way to end this entire series. How they should have done it. Yep. Um, and Elm Street 3 was very successful yeah. when it came out. And I think the critics gave this a big bump from... What, what, what do you got there? What do you so got it's there? a $4.5 million budget, and it makes $44.8 million yeah. for the third film. And again, let's emphasize, that doesn't include home video. Yeah. Uh, critics and audiences were the exact same at 68%. Okay, you know what? I would have thought it'd be more than that. I but would have thought so too, but that's a big jump from the numbers of Elm Street yeah, too. For for the you know the garbage that two was, but uh, no, three is a masterpiece. It's great. So it doesn't get much better from here. No, it's going to kind of go downhill from this point. But we're going to talk about them all. We're going to talk about quick turnarounds. By the way, these movies are very successful. So Chuck Russell, Frank Darabont, you're out. Yep, we're on to the next. Who's the next up-and-comer that we can get on board? So uh, Bob Shea discovers Rennie Harlan. Rennie Harlan. Who I think it's safe to say becomes the most successful director to come out of any of the Elm Street franchise. Other than Wes Craven. Well, I think he's more successful than really? Wes Craven. Well, I guess in the in the genre. Yeah. yeah. Well, in, in the horror movie genre, we'll give it to Craven. He did yeah. Scream and all that stuff. But Harlan's going to go on to direct Die Hard 2. Cliffhanger, Deep Blue Sea, um, Good Night and Good Luck. Oh, no, Good Night, Good Luck. A Long Kiss, Good Night. <laughs> kiss. Uh, the Adventures of Ford Fairlane. Um, what's what's the pirate one he did with Gina? Cutthroat Island. Cutthroat Island. I challenge anyone to watch Cutthroat Island now and just say to yourself, look, <laughs> say what you want about the movie. This is all done practically. Those are all real sets. I think the stunt work, I actually think the movie on a technical level really? is pretty damn impressive. Okay. Say what you want about the story. The story is the problem. <laughs> so A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, directed by Rennie Harlan, uh, is the continuing uh, saga of Kristen, who Patricia Arquette uh, does not work. And that's what I think that's what kills this movie for me. To not have the same, to have the same character not played by the same person. If it were me and I was a studio, I would have waited it out. Um, I would have offered more money because I think trying to understand who, like I remember at the front, I'm like, who, wait, is this the same person? It, just, it doesn't doesn't flow for me, and they act completely differently. So you get the same actor who plays Kincaid. You get the yeah. same actor that plays Joey. Uh, and Patricia Arquette is replaced by Tuesday Night, who uh, famously or infamously sings the opening song mm. on uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, Running from This Nightmare, is actually sung by Tuesday Night. All right. I'm just going to tell you right now. I don't like this movie at all. Nope. At all. It's turd. But it was very successful. It was. Okay. And this is where the movie, this is where the franchise completely shifts for the next three movies. Yeah. All right. Now it really is the Freddy Krueger show. Yep. Now everything that I everything that I praised about Elm Street Three about the character the characters being fleshed out and 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 being believable. Now we're we're back to the cannon fodder. Yeah. The yes. only difference being we're going to learn a little bit something about what you don't like. You don't like roaches. You've got asthma. You're a kung fu guy. <laughs> you know it becomes uh, formulaic. Formulaic. You're telegraphing exactly what's going to happen to them. Yeah. 
I am not a fan of this movie whatsoever. No, and actually, um, I watched this on my iPad, and about 30, 40 minutes in, I'm just I'm hitting the 15-second button. Yep. Like, ahead, ahead. Oh, my God. What are we doing here? I'd love to tell you that there's an interesting theory or an idea in this movie, but at this point, this is uh, Elm Street 4 is just a cash grab. Yep, it is. Uh, and, and Freddy's at his peak at this point. He's got his own album out. He's got his own music album out. He's all over MTV. He's got a hotline. Merchandising's going through the roof. There's Freddy Krueger costumes and cereal Everywhere. and video yeah. games. I had the Nightmare on Elm Street game for Nintendo. They Now they've got a Star Wars situation on their hands where the merchandising makes them more money than the movie itself. Yeah. So the vehicle has to keep moving. Yeah. So now yeah. you've got to keep this going. And I think this is also where it becomes, let's keep, let's tone the budget down and the production value. Let's promote the hell out of it yeah. just to keep it fresh in, in everybody's minds so that you know, hey, if this comes out in Halloween, you know, in the fall, it's going to be a great movie. We're going to have a good time. And here's 325. Thanks. Yeah. So Kristen, Kincaid, and Joey are all killed within the first 30 minutes of the movie. Yep. Kristen passes along her dream powers to very timid Alice. Alice loses all of her friends. She ends up inheriting all of their power. Then she has a big fight sequence with Freddy and kills Freddy. Movies again over. Yeah. Okay. But this movie makes a ton of money. Yeah. Elm Street 4, I think at this point, becomes the highest grossing of the four. Uh, it was six and a half million dollar budget and forty nine point four. Okay. At all the right, box so office. so they're all they're, those Elm Street three and Elm Street four are right on right on par with each other. Yeah, uh, critics critics just absolutely love this one. Fifty three percent for critics, which is better than two. Audiences though forty three percent. Yeah, it's a hard. I mean, it's a it's a hard film to get through. Oh, I mean, one thing I loved about the first couple is. They're what an hour twenty, hour thirty, yep, yep. but it flies by. Yep. This just drags on and on and on and on and on. Yeah, it does. And rewatching it for this movie, there were parts that because I hadn't seen this in, in in a few years, and I'm like, Jesus, when are we getting to that one part <laughs> I remembered? Oh my god, <laughs> it took forty five minutes. Yeah, but I'm going to tell you this right now. I will watch Nightmare on Elm Street Four: The Dream Master every day of the week five times a day before I will ever watch a nightmare on Elm street five, the dream child again. <laughs> that one is so that, okay. Fucking I'm stupid. just going to say it right now. It's the worst of the entire franchise. And there are people that love it. I'm not one of them. No, no, it, it is so fucking stupid. And it, you want to talk about rushed. We're talking about another one year turnaround. They had before they had wrapped up production on four, they already started production on five. Okay. That's crazy. Like they. You don't even know how it's going to be perceived to make any kind of changes whatsoever. No, no. Because it was the con continuing story of Alice and whoever. And Dan survived. Dan gets it. Yep. I don't even want to talk about some of the other deaths in that movie. <sighs> I don't even want. I don't even want to rehash it. Um, this movie is directed by Stephen Hopkins. Again, Rennie Harlan, you're out, but you're going to have a successful career. So do your thing. Fuck off. Okay. Stephen Hopkins, he's going to go on to direct Predator 2, Judgment Night. He does a few things. He does a few interesting things after this. He's more he's more for the gore factor than the scare factor. And that's yeah. that's what's missing in 4, 5 and 6 is they're they're no longer scary. No. They're a combination of gory and funny. 
Yeah, it's like, oh, the baby just crawled into that skeleton to become Freddy, Freddy Krueger again. Again. That's cool. Not not my thing. No. Really, really not my thing. Um, Elm Street 5 is, uh, of of all of them, and there have been some bad ones, it's, it's just, it's unwatchable for me. Yeah. And it's not... And Freddie just looks all fucking weird in the movie. Like everything, nothing. <laughs> they forgot to hire the makeup guy. Yeah, again. it's like, like, what are we doing? Like, he just, his own makeup he now. Looks, it's just, it's okay. What? Just you know what? Numbers. Yeah, so we can move on because <laughs> I actually have a lot to say. So about biggest dead. budget for this one, eight million dollars, and that's you can see that on the screen. I yeah. mean, there was some pretty good stuff as yeah. far as practical effects and stuff. Um, yeah, and the asylum. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of different scenes in yeah. this one. Twenty-two million dollar overall. That's not good. No critics. So it's the lowest thus far. Thirty percent for critics and thirty-one percent for audiences. Yeah, and that's being nice. Yeah. So yeah. the the at this point the well is drying out. Yeah. All right. So they're going to take a year and hit that. They're, again, they're going to hit that reset button. And so what are we going to do next? How are we going to got to end this? Day. Just let's just go ahead and end it. Yep. All right. So we're going to get 1991's Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. It's so dumb. Here's a movie I tried to sneak into the theater to see. Did you? I was 13 <laughs> years old. All right. We bought tickets to see, I think it was, I don't remember what the movie was, but we bought tickets to see something and then tried to sneak into Freddy's Dead, <laughs> The Final Nightmare. But the thing, one of the selling points of this movie was like the final 15 minutes were in 3d if you saw it in the theater yeah well they didn't hand out the 3d glasses at the box office there was somebody at the entrance to the actual auditorium uh, who was their job was to say hand this out and say when the main character puts on the 3d glasses that's when you put on yours when the main character puts you know so we walk up and the guy looks at us goes no <laughs> we didn't even try to fight he goes no <laughs> So I didn't see the I didn't get to enjoy the the illustrious 3D. <laughs> so he went and saw Goodfellas instead. Yeah. So did see this on home video when it came out afterwards. And okay, so this movie is directed by I think the one nice thing about this is this movie is directed by Rachel Towley, who started out as an assistant production or a production assistant, a lowly PA on the first Elm Street movie. Oh, that's cool. And worked her way up. And worked on every Elm Street film and gradually got bigger, bigger roles, line producer, things like that. And so by the time they were getting ready to make this movie, she went to Bob Shea and said, I'd, I'd really love it if you'd let me direct the movie. And he said, yes. Wow, so and I think that's seven years later. Yeah, I think that's yeah. a really cool story. Yeah. And she goes on and directs Tank Girl a few years later. Oh, uh, yeah. But that's a cool story. And that's the one good thing I think this movie has going for it. I would it? give it, yep, that's it, it. It's got a cool little story about it. Uh, that being said, <laughs> what the fuck are we doing? It's, I, I remember watching this and going, I am so glad this is over now. I'm so glad the series has ended. And because I was naive at the time, I, I think I, I definitely rented this one. I'm like, I don't think I can take any more. And these are fucking garbage now. So I would have seen this in early 92 when it came out on home video. Yeah. So I was. I was 13, school, 13 yeah. maybe 14 years old. Yeah. And in the opening scene where our character, John Doe, because he never has a name, is in a house that is falling to the ground. And he looks out the window and Freddie comes in on a broom like a witch and says, I'll get you my pretty and your little soul, too. <sighs> that was the point where I literally put my head down and went, oh, my God. Yeah. 
and it is. It doesn't get any better from there. No, it's, oh, it's bad. It's terrible. It's terrible. And it's crazy to think how just 20 minutes ago we were talking about how amazing Elm Street 3 was. <laughs> so it's it's just garbage. And the way Freddy dies, you're like, well, okay. Is that That's cool. Pipe bomb? Yeah. Okay. So he's really dead, huh? Yeah. We've seen him die every other movie. Yeah. He keeps coming back. Yeah. So. I want to tell you that, you know, Brecken Meyer's in this movie. Yeah, you do get Brecken Meyer. I, I do like Brecken Meyer. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah. Uh, that's, oh, Yafat Koto's in the movie. Yep. You know, that's that's a thing. <laughs> We're reaching now. Yeah. There's a, there's it's a, there, only 90 minutes, I think. Yeah, there's, I will say there's a, one part that did make me chuckle is when Carlos is in the back of the van and they're they're lost and looking for directions. And he keeps, this map just keeps folding more and more and more and finally says, you're fucked. And 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 then the girl turns around, and looks, says, "What does the map say?" And he says, "Well, the map says we're fucked." I, I, I'll admit to opening, la- opening, openly, openingly laughing about uh. that particular scene. Yeah, this was. I think at thirteen or fourteen years old, even I was like, "This is." I don't know about this. I, this that uh, was not good. But I was excited to see it. I remember being excited <clears throat> to see the movie. Yeah, but when it's over, you're just going. That was a waste. Yeah, and 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 you you can look at certain movies like once a year I'll revisit Elm Street three or the original Elm yeah. Street. Like I'm like, oh yeah, I'm gonna watch that again. Or even Elm Street two, I will. I'll put that on every once in a while because I just find it a fascinating movie. I never have the desire to watch four, five, and six, and no. wouldn't have if it wasn't for this conversation. Yeah, I mean to me, it's like some of those later Halloween movies. So just no. In ninety one, Freddy's dead. Moving on, we're done done we're not we're not there's nothing else more to discuss there's no more elm street movies it's freddy's dead it was the final nightmare so the numbers on this one uh so the budget and again it keeps escalating so this is anywhere from 9 to 11 million on the budget and it makes 35 million which you, not you're gonna get that budget but, when you start incorporating all that 3d shit yeah. you know yeah um, but this is the worst reviewed of all of the the movies oh okay give, give me audiences <sighs> first 32. Give me critics. 22. <laughs> when you're in the 20s, that's uh, that's saying something. I'd love to tell you that time has been kind to this film. Like, there's certain movies that you look back and like, yeah, you know what? That was better than uh, people gave it credit for. This is not one of them. This is not at all one of them. So. It will not age well. So, Freddy's dead. That's the final nightmare. That's it. We're I done. guess we're done. Yep. There's not much more to talk about. Moving on. But I will say this. Imagine. Everyone's surprise is if you rented a movie in the video store in mid two thousand mid nineteen ninety four and you see this very atmospheric trailer, you know, that just sort of, you know it's very much like nightmares do this and nightmares do that and it's very like what's going on here? And all of a sudden it says Wes Craven's new nightmare and then as soon as it right before the trailer ends, shutters open up and Freddie's face pops out and he goes, Miss me? Like what? <laughs> what is this? No. <laughs> I know. No, for me, it was more like, what's going on? Yeah. Wes Craven. Let's see, Wes Craven nightmare. attached to it. So this was going to be, this is the first Nightmare on Elm Street film that I see in the theater. So yeah, I'm 16 too. years old when this yeah. thing comes out. Didn't appreciate it at the time I saw it. Mm-hmm. I was too young and too naive to really respect the whole meta vibe of this. It was ahead of its time with that. that So ahead of its time. So for those who don't know, uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare posits that all of the actors 
Heather Langenkamp, Robert England, even Wes Craven, every, John Saxon. This is a movie where they're re, they're playing themselves in a world where the Nightmare on Elm Street films exist. Yeah. And what happens if Freddy's real? Yeah. What a great concept the, the, for a movie. The zeitgeist that brings him to life. Yeah. And it, it deals with... You know, this whole thing about Freddy's gotten so big, he's so ever so popular. You know, Robert England appears on talk shows dressed up as Freddy's and kids go crazy. Yeah. And Heather Langenkamp, who by the way, gives the best performance of any of the Elm Street movies oh, yeah. she's been in. Yeah. You know, she's got a small child and you know, you know, people ask her, Do you let your son watch your movies? And she's by all accounts a good mother. And I gotta tell you, I really like the you know the first two acts of this movie not the third i don't i don't i think the first two acts of this movie are better than the final than the third act of the film okay but that being said i think this is a a really good movie i don't know where you stand on this Oh, i love this movie yeah i remember i i remember really liking it when i watched it at the theater because it was so innovative and i remember thinking like god what if this could actually happen and i i love seeing how people start to transform back into their characters towards the end. And I just, I think it was extremely smart, a Wes Craven. And if he was going to revamp the series or, you know, I know this is kind of a standalone, but it's almost a reboot. Um, Just saying that we can go anywhere we want from here. He could be real. Yeah. uh, I will say I need to amend what I said. All of it up until the point where she goes into Freddy's world. Yeah. Like down there, I'm like, okay, I get, you know, I, everything leading up to that point, I'm like, this is amazing. And then it just kind of got, oh, this is like a Marvel movie, our big, big climactic finale. Yeah. From what I understand, you know, Bob Shea goes to Wes Craven and says, hey, listen, we really want to bring Freddy back. And, <laughs> and Wes Craven's like, well, I thought Freddy is dead. And, you know, Bob Shea's like, no one's really dead. And, and, and Craven says something to the effect of, well, how much money did you make off these Elm Street movies? <laughs> Apparently a big check landed in his mailbox for him to agree to, you know, Bob, really? Bob Shea is like, oh, well, we had to make this right. Because they made hundreds of millions of dollars oh, off yeah. this thing plus Craven, merchandise yeah that's what i'm saying plus merchandise. video sales and craven and... didn't see any of that money yeah but he did he did because they had to because bob shea says well we made it right with him <laughs> so <laughs> i have no idea what critics thought about this movie i have to imagine that it, it got an above 50 percent rotten tomatoes uh it did yeah so this is the second highest reviewed of all of the films it's a 79 for okay. critics what about audiences uh 66 i i can see that because i think you go into this movie expecting a Nightmare on Elm Street film. Yeah. And you don't get a Nightmare on Elm Street film. No, you get a an homage to a Nightmare on Elm Street that becomes a Nightmare on Elm Street film, right. which I think is just super smart. Yeah, and then it, two years later, Craven's going to do Scream, which yes. is uh, even more meta horror movie. And you get you get Fred Krueger back there again. Oh, yeah. As the janitor. As the janitor, played by Craven. <laughs> so throughout the 90s, there was always this talk of how cool would it be to have, you know, Freddy and Jason in their own movie. And it, I remember seeing Jason Goes to Hell the final Friday in 1993. And that movie famously at the end of the film when Jason dies and his hockey mask is laying on the dirt. Freddy's glove comes, comes up, up and pulls it under. Because yeah. by that point, New Line had acquired the rights to the character of Jason Voorhees. They did yeah. not 
acquire the rights to the name Friday the 13th. That's why it's called Jason Goes to Hell the Final Friday instead of Friday the 13th, Jason's Dead or something like that. So throughout the 90s, you'd hear whispers of, oh, they're really going to do it. And if you look back, you know, they they were trying to get this thing off the ground for a long time. Yeah. And then in August of 2003, we are going to get the Ronnie U directed Freddy versus Jason, a movie that I saw in Knoxville, Tennessee. I was at a friend's wedding. The wedding was on a Saturday. I didn't fly out until Monday. So I had a Sunday to myself and drove to a movie theater in Knoxville, Tennessee. The thing was sold out. (laughs) And I remember being very interested in this movie. And then I saw the movie. (laughs) Oh, then I saw the movie. So I saw this movie twice in the theaters. Was it was it one of those Phantom Menace things like for me where I like the first time I saw it, I'm like, oh, 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 I better see this again. No, I got so drunk beforehand <laughs> that I, I left about halfway through to go to the parking lot and throw up. <laughs> but I was like, I got to see how it ends. So, yeah, I paid to go see this twice. This is it. <sighs> I don't know how to describe it. It's terrible. It's like watching two icons that you don't want either one of them to win and you don't want either one of them to lose battle it out. And it's just so dumb at the end. You had a group of teenagers played by actors in in their late 20s. Again, guys, I cannot stress everyone listening. We love the first, the third, and Wes Craven's new nightmare. Yes. Inside of this franchise, there are three really good movies. Like, Which is worth rare. your time. Yeah. yeah. Worth your time. Yeah. But the ones that are not good are not good. And and dare I say it, like, I would rather watch Elm Street 4 than Freddy vs. Jason again. Yeah. Like, this, I remember watching this, and I am well-versed in the Friday the 13th, excuse me, and I am well-versed in the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Well-versed. Yeah. Going into this movie, nothing in this film challenged me as an Elm Street, quote unquote, fan or fanatic. All right. It was so safe in how they described everything. There was nothing in there for like the super fans of either franchise. Yeah. It was, oh, we're going to assume most of you haven't seen the previous movies. So we're just going to do whatever we want. We're going to do whatever we want. And it is horrendously bad. (laughs) Terrible acting. Terrible, terrible story. Terrible story. Like, you went through 18 or 19 different iterations of a script. There were some really cool ideas. Yeah. And why not? Like, if, if you can't terrorize the people of the town, you really want to terrorize. Because you've probably already killed most of the Elm Street kids. Go to not, can you not go to another town? Can you not no. go to the next town over? I mean. And they're having a rave. <laughs> the high school party's a rave. What? Yeah. Like, what are we talking about? Yeah. And, but, and, and by the way, Jason or Freddy doesn't kill. Freddy kills one person in this movie. Is that right? He lights that guy on fire. That's true. Yeah. He, he didn't kill anyone else. And they didn't bring back Kane Hodder as Jason. Yeah. Which famously pissed off a ton of people. But that doesn't. Hey, but what do I know? This movie made a shitload of money. It did. So on a $30 million budget, this thing made $116 million. Yeah. So what do I know? Yeah. In 2003. What do I know? Yeah. What do I know? Everybody, this is, but but it, but it just go to sh- it just goes to show that like legacy horror because that's what this was was a legacy horror movie. You brought in two fan bases; they were all going to go see this. I mean, listen, for as much as shit talking as we're doing, we saw this in the theater. Yeah, I mean, we did see it. <laughs> so 
critics and audiences. I'd be <laughs> oh, okay. We already did the budget, but critics and audiences. Um, so for critics, again, deterred forty two percent. Yeah. Um, audiences liked it a little bit more at fifty percent. So yeah, that's that's about right. I mean, I'm I'm sure there's some people out there who kind of are okay with it, but I mean, and I really don't think we need a spoiler alert because no one wins in this. Yeah. I mean, it's Freddy versus Jason. There should be a clear winner. There's not. They left it open for a sequel, and making more than $100 million would make you wonder why they didn't make a sequel. And think about this. This is right around the time when Platinum Dunes, Michael Bay's company, is going to start remaking all the movies. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Hitcher, Amityville Horror, all these. This is is where we start getting the remakes, okay? And the fact that we didn't get a sequel to this, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what we're doing. Yeah. So, finally... I was, by this point in the late 2000s, 2008, 2009, I was following, closely following the development of such a, such a dork <laughs> of the reboot, the reboot of A Nightmare on Elm Street. And I have to tell you, the first trailer, I was in. Yeah. I was like, oh, this looks good. Now, I'll tell you a story off the record about who was brought on to originally direct the film. And was subsequently replaced. Ooh. Uh, the movie the movie was directed by Samuel Bear, and he was most famous for directing Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit. So he's a big music video director. This is actually gonna be his first feature film. Say that dark, that and Michael Bay's company, this. Platinum Dunes, is a production company behind this. So you know, Samuel goes to Michael and says, Hey, listen, I really think I'm ready to do my first feature film. And Michael's like, Oh, I'll give you the Elm Street movie and removes the guy who was actually like in pre-production. I'll tell you about it later. Sorry, audiences. I can't, I can't, I can't tell you on the air. I love gossip, but (laughs) suffice to say, rumor has it that Samuel Barrett didn't know what he was doing directing the movie. Well, it shows. (laughs) Yeah. Like they, like they'd shoot a scene and then like the, the cinematographer would be like, um, so we actually have to shoot this same scene from like five different angles. It's called coverage. You know, we have to do it here, here and here. So we, we, we have to do this. We have to do them going through the door, coming back through the door, the door closing right. behind them. We actually have to shoot all these things. So I'm just saying that's, wow. yeah, I mean, well, allegedly sh- that's what I heard happened. It shows in the, in, in the movie. So I was very excited, and I went and saw this with a buddy of mine, and I remember, I just want to say, the trailer got me. I thought the trailer was good. Yeah. And the Jackie Earl Haley playing Freddy, I said, all right, well, he-, he I can see him. I mean, you can he, see him doing that. You can see he's him doing got it. that. I mean, I don't mean this in a bad way, but he's he's got a face for Freddy. <laughs> yeah, he's got that look. Yeah. My buddy left like 35 minutes into the movie because <laughs> we met met at the theater. He's like, he's like, fuck this, I'm out. I'm like, well, I better see this through to the end. Oh. Rooney Mara's playing Nancy in the movie. She doesn't know. She does a good job. She's okay. Um, again, every actor is way older than. No, that's not true. I shouldn't say that. This movie sucks. It's terrible. And I'm not trying to shit on people. I'm not trying to shit on movies. I'm really not. But it's it's terrible. Yeah. If you're going to reboot something, the budget was right on this one. The yeah. budget was $35 yeah. million dollars yeah. for a reboot. I mean, a lot of that needs to go into special effects and, you know, scenes. But to put that much money into it without the thought of a great cohesive story, a director that knew what they were doing, doesn't know what they're doing, um, it just comes apart as a clumsy mess. And I, I, 
I rewatched it this one time begrudgingly, but again, I'm sitting there with the 15 seconds ahead. Do you, do you know how I would perfectly describe this movie? Boring. <laughs> An Elm Street yeah. movie that's boring me to tears. That literally wants to put me to sleep yeah. watching it. To kill you. <laughs> there is one interesting scene in the movie. One particular scene that always got me. And I always felt bad is when the kid is arrested for the murder mm. and he's in the jail cell and he falls asleep and Freddie kills him. And then the guy, his cellmates in the cell with him and the guy, you know, he's dead. And the his cellmates like, let me out. I didn't do this. I didn't do this. I'm like, oh, you're fucked. Buddy. You're done. You're done. <laughs> what do critics think of the 2010 Nightmare on Elm Street reboot? So I spoke too soon earlier on the worst. Okay. Numbers. Critics gave this a whopping 14%. Yeah. What about audiences? Audiences, um, not terrible, but not great. 43%. Numbers? Numbers on it, $35 million budget, and it made $117 million. I mean, but again, that's the same, almost the same numbers as uh, Freddy versus Jason, but nearly 10 years later. You know, it's interesting because just the year earlier in 2009 is when you get the Friday the 13th reboot. Yeah. That movie makes like sixty million opening weekend. Yeah, I say this because it has now been thirteen and actually thirteen slash fourteen years since we've had an Elm Street movie or a Friday the Thirteenth movie theatrically released. We've had plenty of Halloween movies in that time. We've had Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies. Yep. Uh, we've had Exorcist movies. We've had Child's Play movies. I don't know what's going on. We're we're supposed to be getting one, right? I've been hearing that for the past. Fourteen years, like a direct sequel to Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Well, that would be I would be on board with that. Yeah, that's what. I'd... So I didn't know that. Yeah. So interesting. Well, Jason, that was our look at the uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. I'm not even going to try to rank them. I'm just going to tell everybody one and three, and Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Yeah, you're welcome. Much like much like this, the franchise itself, and the first half of this show. The first part is always the best part. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> all right, Jason, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. All right, guys, uh, be sure to follow us on social media, uh, on X, formerly Twitter, <laughs> at Dana Buckler Show. You can email us, thedanabucklershow at gmail.com. If you want to help support the work we do, go to patreon.com slash movie. So uh, I hope everyone's having a great October. Happy Halloween, and Happy we will Halloween. talk soon. 